Hey, welcome to the Quest, and thank you guys for joining us today. It's always great to be together, even if right now it happens to be virtually. If you happen to be checking us out, we're really glad you stopped by, and we hope that this won't be the last time. If you have questions about who we are as a church, visit our website at FresnoQuest.com or simply scan the QR code that's there on the screen. That way it'll help us provide more information to you, maybe help answer some of the questions that you might have about what our vision is, what our passions are, and things like that. If you find this talk to be helpful in any way, I encourage you to like, subscribe, and share it. Also, pass it along and share it on the social media platforms that you're a part of. It helps us connect with people that might need encouragement and might need to be connected to God. Just as a reminder, we offer these talks on a podcast. You can find them on Apple as well as Spotify and different other providers. Just look at Fresno Quest Church and you'll find them there. And one last thing, we're finally going to be able to reopen after a year of meeting virtually. We're finally going to be able to meet together. And listen, so before we are able to actually meet together, we need to come together and decide who's going to be doing what, that we provide the ministries of the church for the people of the church. And so if the Quest is your church, I want to encourage you to be at the meeting that we're scheduling tomorrow night, April 26th, Monday night at 6.30 in the gathering room. It's not going to be a long meeting. It'll be a short meeting. However, we do want to remind you as well that masks will be required. So I just want to encourage you, the quest is your church. Plan on being at this meeting Monday night, April 26th at 6.30. We look forward to seeing you there. I like this series that we're in entitled Like Jesus because we live in a time where we need clarity. We need to know God's direction for our lives. We need to know God's agenda for our lives. Because the truth is, without God's agenda, we'll end up creating our own agenda for our lives. Our lives will take on a whole different direction based on what we think is important, based on what we value, rather than what Jesus values. Rather than what God values and what God wants for our lives. So what is God's goal for your life, for my life? Some people think God's goal is make us happy or successful or prosperous. It's really none of those things. One, something you might want to write down on your notes when we're looking at God's goal for our lives. God's goal for our lives is to make us like Jesus. God's goal is and always has been to make us like His Son, Jesus. That's what Romans 8.29 tells us. It says that from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to Him and all along, He knew who would should become like His Son. And something maybe we need to understand about that is because God is making us like Jesus, He's going to take us through some of the same things that He took Jesus through. Not the exact things, but very similar things because those things form and shape us. The difficulties and the challenges of your life have a purpose in your life. They are designed to make us like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't like difficult times. So when I experience difficult times, I just want to get out of them. I want to pray my way out of them. I want to just get through them. I want to get them behind me. But the goal for us in these difficult times is not just to get through them, but to grow through them, to come through them different than we went into them. The challenges of life are opportunities to hold on to God, to learn to trust in His Word, to trust in Him to trust in His plan for our life. This is an important point on your notes, but it's this. Whatever challenge you find yourself in, God has a reason for that season. You're not there by accident. God is doing something, but we need to remember that God is never going to force us to do what we don't want to do. He's never going to force us to be what we don't want to be. 
And that's why this next point is also really important you want to write down, and that's we have to want to be like Jesus. It doesn't just happen. But I also want you to understand this. I'm not slinging guilt here, but a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus don't really want to be like Jesus. For many people, they're okay with Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't impose on their lifestyle or what we want or the purpose that we've established for our lives. This series is designed to help us understand that the Bible isn't a behavior modification manual. The Bible was given to show us who God is, what He loves, and how much He loves us. So when we value what Jesus values, when we love what Jesus loves, what happens is our behavior begins to reflect Him. That's what Colossians 3 tells us. It says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Because the truth is, value shapes behavior. What we value, what we love, shapes the behavior of our lives. So write this point down. If we want to act like Jesus, we have to first be like Jesus. We surrender to what Jesus loves, what Jesus values, what Jesus prioritizes in His life. We own that and we embrace that. And as we embrace that, as we share His values and His love, then our actions become like His. See, your values, my values, they establish behaviors in our life. They are principles that establish the priorities of our behaviors and of our life. So that gives us another fill-in that's important to understand as we look at being like Jesus, and that says values give us priorities to live out. Whatever it is that you value in your life will become a priority for your life. Our values and priorities either prevent us or enable us to be like Jesus. So two points I made last week that I just want to give you as a review so that we understand I don't want this to be a legalistic look at what it means to be like Jesus. But I want us to understand, first of all, this. Being like Jesus is not a matter of willpower, but God's power. It's not what we can make ourselves. It's what God can make us as we surrender to Him. Willpower can accomplish a lot, but only God can make us like His Son, Jesus. Here's another point in review, and that's this. Being like Jesus is a heart issue. The behavior will take care of itself. See, it's not a behavior issue. It's a heart issue, and that's what God is dealing with in us. I feel like I mistitled this series. I should have titled it The Confessions of a Pastor because it seems like every week I'm sharing with you things about my life and my confessions of areas where I need to grow. But it's all right because I know that you're with me. I know that you have these same struggles because we all do. So, of course, all my confessions seem to be about me driving. So let me just add another one to the mix. In this past week, I'm driving down the street, and I'm waiting on a car, getting ready to make a right-hand turn, and I'm sitting there waiting, not really paying attention. But as I'm waiting, and the wait gets longer and longer, I realize, you know, what is this guy waiting for? And as I look to my left, what he's looking at, there's nothing there. This guy's just sitting here waiting. I didn't honk my horn. It wasn't anything like that. I'm just sitting there thinking, this guy has nowhere to be. So I'm waiting and waiting. And finally, he takes off as if he wakes up. At least that's what it seemed like. And so the words that come out of my mouth are, what an idiot. And by the way, I've already asked for forgiveness for calling him an idiot, so you can't judge me on what God has forgiven me. It's not that I thought that this person was really an idiot. It was a flippant response. It was a frustrated response. It was a careless word, actually. But I didn't like that I said it, and I didn't like that it didn't sound like Jesus. It's not that that happens all the time, but it happens more than I want it to happen. 
words come out of our mouth like, you jerk, oh, you're so dumb, or whatever. See, we may not mean them, and of course we don't even say them where other people can hear us, but there's still words that come out of our mouth. And the truth is, God hears us. That's what the scripture tells us. It says in Psalm 139, David says, Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. Maybe you struggle with cursing or dropping a few adjectives to describe and define the people in your lives or the people that you encounter in life. Truth is, is if we don't deal with it, we're going to excuse it. If we don't expose it to God and give it to God, we're going to try to hide it from God. And the longer we tolerate it, the more it becomes a part of us. I think it's important that we recognize that it's a problem in our lives. James addresses this very issue when he writes this in James chapter 3. He says, My dear friends, with our tongues we speak both praises and curses. We praise our Lord and Father and curse people who were created to be like God. And this isn't right. Can clear water and dirty water both flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Does fresh water come from a well full of salt water? Oh, the answer to those questions are no, obviously. But a few things that I see in that scripture that I want to point out is this. The first one is how we use our words does matter to God. Do you realize that how you speak does matter to God? There is a right way and a wrong way to use our words. He says in that, with our tongues, we speak both praises and curses. And he goes on to say, this isn't right. And something else we see in that scripture is this. We speak of God's greatness in how we speak of his creation. It's not just other Christians that he's talking about. All people were created in his image and to be like him. So when he writes, we praise our Lord and Father. And we curse people who were created to be like God, and this isn't right. If we're looking at who Jesus is and what he valued, we can't miss that Jesus loved the Father and he loved people. When you value God and you value his creation, you value others, we start looking at people differently. It's like I tell people that struggle with pornography. The person you're lusting over is somebody's son, somebody's daughter. You would never want somebody looking at your child in that way. You would never want somebody to use your child as an object for their gratification. But not only is it somebody else's son and daughter, these are God's kids. And out of respect to God, we value his children. We value those that he created, those that he made to be like him. So when we love people, when we value people, we have grace and mercy for people. And the more we value others, the more we care about what's going on in their lives, what they're dealing with. And our lives become less about what we're dealing with. It's more about what others are dealing with. If we go back to my driving experience and my confession, which, by the way, I repented of and there's no judgment in that, my lack of patience revealed that I care more about my agenda than what was going on in this person's life. I cared more about my time frame than what this person is dealing with. The truth is, is that when we love people and we have grace and mercy for people, we don't degrade them. That's something that God's dealing with me in my life. And that's something that God is even using to shape my words as I learn to have grace and mercy towards others. And I care more about what's going on in their life than what's going on in my life and my agenda and my time frame. I begin to look at others with patience. One more thing I believe is important out of that scripture, and that's this. Our words reveal who we are. It reveals the deeper issue that's going on within us. 
The scripture identifies our words as the fruit or the identifying markers of our life. Our words identify us. In James 3, 11 and 12, it says, Can clean water and dirty water both flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Does fresh water come from a well full of salt water? If you want figs, you go to a fig tree. If you want grapes, you go to a grapevine. You don't go to a fig tree looking for grapes because the fig tree provides figs. The words of our life are the produce of our life. So in this process of being like Jesus, in this process of allowing God to shape me to be like his son, my words matter and I can't dismiss them as insignificant. But remember, this isn't just about changing our words. This is about valuing what Jesus values. And when we value what Jesus values, then our words begin to reflect his words. So if we want to be like Jesus and we want our words to also be like Jesus, then some things that we need to consider are these. We need to deal with the source of our words. If you want to get to the root cause, you have to dig deep. You have to get to the core of the issue. And there was this time that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And, and remember, those Pharisees, they were all show and no go. They had a godly appearance without a godly heart. They were godly on the outside and evil on the inside. And Jesus is dealing with who they are at their core when he says this. He says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Don't miss that. In fact, you might want to write this down. The condition of our heart defines what we say and how we say it. Your heart is the source of your words. It's the origin of your words. In that conversation we were just looking at with Jesus and the Pharisees, he goes on to say this, a good person produces good words from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. See, our words are formed by our heart's condition. Our words are shaped by what's going on in our heart, what we're dealing with at our core. I'm not talking about our physical heart. I'm not talking about the organ that pumps blood to all the other members of our body. The Bible talks about the heart being the core, the center of who we are. In other words, what it says is it's the place of our emotions and where our desires begin. It's what drives our actions, and it's a very part of what God is changing in us. See, the heart is the very core of who we are, and we need to address it because of this. And you can write it down. Our heart shapes our words, and then our words shape our lives. Our heart defines and determines the direction and the course of our lives. It defines not just what we pursue, but the nature of what we pursue, whether it's spiritual or not, whether it's good or not. In Proverbs, it says this, that we're to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of our lives. See, we're driven by our passions and our desires, and our words communicate who sits on the throne of our lives, who's in charge in our lives, who controls our priorities and the values of our life, because it's either me or it's God. I would encourage us all to evaluate our words carefully. What do your words say about your heart? What do your words say about who sits on the throne of your life, who's in control of your life? What do your words say about what you value in life and what your priorities are in your life? Our heart is either self-consumed or God-centered. Just remember, the real problem isn't our tongue, it's our heart. Our words give us insight into our heart and show us that we need God continually to change our hearts. And sometimes it shows us that we need God to sit on the throne of our lives, to be in charge of our lives because we've taken control back. 
So what do we do? Because all of us struggle in this area with our words, with the communication of our lives, with how we speak. In James, it talks about this. It says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame his tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Man, this sounds like a hopeless cause. It says no human can tame his tongue, which makes it sound like something why even try. I think what it really does is it shows us how important of an issue this is and what we really need to do to have change happen in our lives. So how do we change our words? I think the first way we do it is this. We allow God to change our heart. If you want your words to change, then the heart has to change. If our heart condition defines our words, then we need a new heart and a clean heart. Psalms records two of King David's prayers that I think can help us. And the first one that he says is this, create in me a new clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. If God's the one who can change our hearts, then we've got to ask him to change our hearts. Here's another prayer that David makes, and that's this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation or the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. What David is doing there is he's relinquishing control of his life. He's stepping off the throne of his life, and he's bringing God into his rightful place. He's saying, I don't want my words to reflect me pleasing me. I want my words to reflect pleasing you. I want my words to be about what you value, God, not what I value. That's where change begins. Another thing we can do to change our words is this. Put a filter on what we allow in our heart. We use filters every day. If you drive a car, you have a filter for your oil. If you drink coffee, you have a filter for your coffee. Have you ever considered having a filter for your heart? See, at some point, we have to take responsibility for what we allow into our hearts. That's what Proverbs 4.23 tells us is, above all else, guard your heart. Put a filter on it. Because everything you do flows from your heart. Not just your words, but because of your words, it's your values and your actions. How do you use a filter on your heart? What does that mean? What does that even look like? Well, on a practical level, I think it begins with, we have to be careful with what we watch, what we set before our eyes, because what we view goes into our heart. I think we have to be careful with what we listen to. I'm not telling you what to eliminate in your life, but for me, when I eliminated the national news or the political news, I became a whole lot less angry. It eliminated the fear and the anger in my life. That may not be the case for you, but that's the filter that I use for my heart. That's part of the filter. I think another part of the filter is how we talk to ourselves, the internal dialogue that we have with ourselves, the thoughts that we allow ourselves to dwell on. Because we can have bad thoughts and bad dialogue with ourselves that affect our heart, that seep down into the very core of who we are. Here's another thing I think we can do to change our words, and that's this. We need to allow life to fill our hearts so that life can fill our words. Allow life to fill your heart so that life can fill your words. In Proverbs, it reminds us of this. It says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose how you use your words. They either benefit others or destroy others. They either benefit your life or destroy your life. When we allow the life of God to fill our hearts, then life begins to fill our words. And you might say, well, how does life fill our words? And what does that look like? I would say real quickly, we begin to use words of affection, communicating how special people are, that you appreciate them, that you value them. 
We're not trying to put other people down. We're not trying to degrade them. We're trying to add value into their lives because God values them. Another way life fills our words is we start using words of grace. We speak what other people need, not what they deserve. So we start building them up. We honor people. We respect them. Another way that life fills our words is this. We start using words of healing, that we believe in others, that you're praying for others, that you forgive them, that you love them. These are healing choices, healing words honoring people. Proverbs 15 tells us this, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. If you want your words to be full of life, they've got to be words of healing. Listen, I'm not trying to give you rules to follow. I'm just trying to help us to understand what it means to be like Jesus. It's impossible through our own efforts. That's why we need to be surrendered to God's Spirit within us. We need to allow God's agenda to be lived out in our lives. We need to be listening to what God wants to do in and through us. See, our words that begin to reflect Jesus are more than what we say about others. They also communicate something much deeper. And I think that much deeper we have to ask ourselves the question, do my words communicate a heart of faith? Do I believe that God is active? Do I believe that God is working? Do I believe that God is working behind the scenes? Is God accomplishing His purpose in my life? Is God working all things together for my good? Does God provide for my needs? Do I believe that what God says about me is true? Do I believe that what God says in His Word is true? And do my words communicate my faith in Him? We also have to ask the question, do my words communicate a heart of love? Do I love God above all else? Is He the object of my affection? Is He the love of my life? How am I communicating my love for God? And also, we have to ask, do my words communicate a heart of surrender to God? That my life is not about me, that as Jesus said, that He is busy doing the Father's business. Is, is that what my words communicate? Or do my words communicate that I'm busy doing my business, my agenda? Do my words speak of God's priorities or my priorities? Please don't misunderstand me. This is not a legalistic approach to earning God's approval, but this is about valuing what Jesus values, loving what Jesus loves, prioritizing what Jesus prioritizes so that our words begin to reflect Him, that we begin to act like Him. We need to invite God into our lives to shape our hearts and shape our words. That's what David prays in Psalms 141 when he says this, Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me be careful about what I say. I believe that as we value what Jesus values, as we love what Jesus loves, when we begin to love the Father as Jesus loves the Father, when we begin to love people the way Jesus loves people, then our words are going to be shaped to reflect His as well. I think that's a great place to start. Father, shape my words that they would be words of faith. Shape my words that they'd be words of love. Shape my words that they reflect being surrendered fully to you. Listen, this really isn't complicated. This is about bringing God into our lives more. It's about surrendering our lives. It's asking God to shape our words, to give us words of faith, to give us words of love, to give us words that reflect this life that is fully surrendered. But it's also asking God, God, help us to put a filter on our hearts so that my heart reflects you. 
If you want God to be the center of your life, the most important part of your life, then you have to give him the throne of your life. You have to step aside and say, listen, this isn't about my agenda and it's not about my priorities. My life is about your priorities. I live to please you. I live to love you as you love me. So let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for every person that's listening. And I know that for all the difficulties and struggles that they might be going through, for all the guilt that maybe they might be carrying because their words do not reflect you, I ask that you would begin to shape in them a heart that is like you, a heart that is like your son. Father, as David prayed, give us a clean heart and a pure heart. Father, help us to establish a filter on our lives to not just allow anything in that would contaminate our hearts or that would make us less like you. Father, give us words of faith and give us words of love and give us words that reflect a surrendered life to you. Father, I just ask for each of us in a very practical way that our lives would be full of life because our heart is full of you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I say it every week, but I just want to remind you, this is a process in our lives. Successes and failures. It's not about behavior modification. It's about learning to love what Jesus loves, learning to value what Jesus values, learning to look at people differently, be willing to look at God differently. And the more you fall in love with God, the more you fall in love with people, the more your values will change and the more you will begin to reflect your Savior, Jesus himself. The encouraging part might be knowing that other people struggle in the same area. We all struggle in this area. And that's why it's important to be in a connection group. It's why it's important to be around people that understand our struggles and not just understand it as a support system, but they're praying for you and praying with you, that they're giving you encouragement and you're giving them encouragement. If you're not in a connection group, I encourage you to get into a connection group because it's there that you find life. It's there that you find prayer and support. It's there that you find relationships and it's there that discipleship happens and our lives begin to be more and more transformed. We're not transformed by listening. We're transformed by participating. So I just want to encourage you to get into a connection group where you can experience the life of God through people of God. I also want to say, as I do every single week, thank you guys so much for your financial gifts. Thank you for giving to God. And thank you for your steps of faith in this area of giving to God. Whatever it is that God's laid on your heart to give, I encourage you to give not out of fear and not out of guilt, but we give to God out of love because God loves us so much because God has given us all that we have. We love giving back to God. God is generous with us, so we want to be generous with God and invest generously into his kingdom. So your gifts are so appreciative. Don't forget, we've got the meeting tomorrow night, April 26th at 6.30 at the Quest. We look forward to seeing you. Make sure you wear a mask and bring a mask with you. We're excited about what God has in store for the quest, and we're glad that you are a part of that. Until tomorrow night, or we see each other again, have a great week. God's best to you. Bye-bye.